Well, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, um, but I'm actually quite tall. Uh, especially in Chatswood, I'm quite tall. Uh, 193 centimetres, in fact, or six foot four in the old scale. And uh, every now and then, somebody will ask me, you know, if I like being tall. Well, the answer to that question depends. Because, you see, sometimes I really like being tall. I like standing out as different in this particular way. Like, I remember when I was at uni, uh, I worked in a shoe shop. And all the shoes were stored up high. You see, so all the other staff had to go get a ladder in order to get to these shoes, but not me. And so what the other staff would often do, rather than go to the hassle of getting this ladder out, and, oh, Warren, could you, could you please just get me those shoes down? And I'd be like, oh, yes, little person, let me help you with that, you know, like this. <laughs> you see, in that, in that shoe shop, I was like a superhero. <laughs> and my height was like my superpower. It was really good to stand out as tall. But then there are other times when my height is less like my superpower and more like my, well, kryptonite. <laughs> times when I'd really rather not be quite as tall. Like, for example, at wedding receptions. Oh, yes, wedding receptions. Because, you see, what do they do at wedding receptions? They dance. And I hate dancing. Because not only am I really tall, but I'm also desperately uncoordinated. And, right, and those two things together are a bad, bad combination. And so when I'm at a wedding reception, what I often try and do is I try and find the darkest corner I can find. And I go over and I try and sit in that dark corner and I try and stay there unnoticed. But that never seems to work. Because there always seems to be that person that comes over and insists that I have to dance. And so there I am on the dance floor. Everybody else down here. Me up here. Dancing with all the grace of a newborn giraffe. You know. <laughs> Everybody else down here having a wonderful time unnoticed. And then there's me up here, you know, the great tower of gawkiness. Just wishing they would hurry up and turn the smoke machine on. Just wishing I was back in the shoe shop. Sometimes it's not easy to stand out as different, is it? And as Christians, well, that's something we know all too well, isn't it? But as we'll see tonight, you know, the very fact that we Christians do stand out as different, it's actually something that we can revel in, rejoice in. Tonight we continue in our sermon series through Matthew's Gospel, and uh, tonight we reach chapter 5. If you don't already have a Bible open in front of you at Matthew chapter 5, can I encourage you, grab one now, turn with me there, chapter 5, it's page 683 of the small print Bibles, 1501 of the large print Bibles. Now so far in Matthew's Gospel, we've seen that God's people, the Jews, they're in a pretty bad situation. Uh, although they're now living in the promised land, Israel, uh, they, they, they still remain in a kind of spiritual exile. You know, that anger of God that came upon them because of their sin and saw them kicked out of the land all those centuries ago, well, it still remains. And so they're back in the land, yes, but 
they're not really backing God's kingdom. They, they live with a, a foreign king as their ruler. And all the promises that were made to Abraham, well, they've not come. They're in a kind of spiritual exile, still outside God's kingdom because of their sin. But now, in Matthew's Gospel, we've seen that Jesus has come with the very purpose of saving people from their sins. And now we've heard him declare and seen him show that the kingdom of God is near. It's close at hand. It's about to be established. And we've heard Jesus call on people to repent, to change their allegiance and to now come and follow him. And last week we saw the very first people responding to that call. Do you remember? The disciples, the very first citizens of God's new kingdom. And now as we reach chapter 5, we find Jesus surrounded by a great crowd of people, people fascinated with who he is. And seeing the great crowd, we're told Jesus walks up the side of a mountain and he sits down and he begins to teach. But it's not the crowds that he's teaching, though I'm sure they're listening in. Rather, it's his disciples. In other words, he begins to teach these new citizens of the kingdom. You read with me uh, from chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying... And then begins probably the most famous sermon that's ever been preached, uh, the so-called Sermon on the Mount, a sermon that will continue for the next three chapters of Matthew. A sermon in which Jesus will explain to his disciples what it means to now live as a citizen of the kingdom. And Jesus begins this sermon with a section that's traditionally been called the Beatitudes. You can see that there in the NIV chapter heading. They've chosen to call it the Beatitudes. It's a word that you won't find in the Bible itself. Uh, It's a word that comes from a Latin word, Beatitudo, which simply means blessedness. And it's easy to see why it's been given that particular title, isn't it? I mean, just uh, cast your eyes over verses 3 to 11 for a moment, and you can see how each verse begins with the words, blessed are, blessed are. But that phrase, blessed are, it's a very interesting one, because it's a phrase which in the original language uh, means something along the lines of, oh, how fortunate are, or Oh, how to be envied are. And so the Beatitudes are describing fortunate people, people who are to be envied. But in these verses, Jesus isn't describing lots of different types of people who are blessed or fortunate, but rather just one type of person. He's describing a citizen of God's kingdom. And as we'll discover, it's the Old Testament that will make that clear. So let's have a look now, shall we, at these Beatitudes. We'll go through one at a time, beginning at the first one in verse 3. Look with me, verse 3, where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who Who are the blessed here? It's the poor in spirit, isn't it? They are the oh so fortunate ones, the ones to be envied, according to Jesus. But what does it mean to be Poor in spirit. What does it mean? 
Before yesterday, I would have said that maybe it was describing a Parramatta Eels football fan. You know, after yet another defeat, you know, deflated, poor in spirit. But we had a victory yesterday, so that can't be right. Now, as I said, the Old Testament is the key to our understanding these Beatitudes. And in the Old Testament, poverty was often a way people described themselves when they recognised their need and cried out to God for help. And so in Psalm 40, King David declares, you can see this up on the screen, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. You see, the poor in spirit are those who recognise their need and beg God for his help. That's what a citizen of God's kingdom is like. A needy beggar. But of course, in our society today, neediness, it's not exactly something that's esteemed, is it? No self-sufficiency and independence. That's what the world admires and lives by. So that means that a needy kingdom person, well, that person's going to stand out as different in this world, aren't they? But they're not to be pitied. Now, in fact, quite the opposite. According to Jesus, they are the fortunate ones, are the ones to be envied. Why? Well, he says, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Their home is God's home, and so they're to be envied. Well, okay, what about the next beatitude then? Verse 4, verse 4, where Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Who are the fortunate ones here? Well, they are the mourners, aren't they? But who are they and what are they mourning? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, the quintessential mourners were the Israelites living in exile. I mean, there's even a whole book in the Old Testament written about their mourning. It's called Lamentations. And they're mourners who lament their sin and lament the anger of God that their sin has provoked. But in Isaiah 61, we hear the promise that God will comfort these mourners. He will reverse their fortunes and bring them back from exile. And so, the, so Isaiah the prophet says that he was sent to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Now again, notice that mourning is not exactly character trait that our society upholds as praiseworthy, is it? Especially not when that mourning is associated with mourning sin. Now, in our society, sin is something to be celebrated and uh, turned into primetime entertainment. And so again, that means that kingdom people, as they mourn sin, will stand out as different in this world. But they're not to be pitied, no way. Rather envied, because Jesus says they are the ones that will be comforted. God's anger will be replaced by his loving arms wrapping around these mourners and comforting them. Okay, then what about the next beatitude? Look with me, verse 5. Verse 5, where Jesus declares, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, this one is actually a direct quote. It comes from Psalm 37, a psalm in which King David exhorts 
all those who have lost all of their belongings on account of evil people. He exhorts them not not to seek revenge, not to seek vengeance, but rather to just trust in God. Trust that in the end God will judge the evil ones and provide abundantly for those who hope in him. And so King David says, a little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land or earth and enjoy great peace. So here, a citizen of God's kingdom is described as meek, not weak, meek, prepared to be wronged in this world and prepared to turn the other cheek when that happens, knowing that in the end God will provide for them and judge their enemies. Again, hardly a character trait honoured in our society, is it? Meekness. So often confused with weakness. But that's what kingdom people are like. So they will stand out as different. But But they're not to be pitied, they're to be envied. Because Jesus says they are the ones who will inherit the earth. In other words, they will stand on the judgment day and be given all the blessings of the new creation. All right, how are you going? You still with me? What about that next one? The next beatitude, verse 6. Verse 6 where Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What does that mean? What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness, do you think? Well, in the Old Testament, the expectation was that true righteousness would only ever come when God's Messiah came. And ruled in righteousness. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, we read of the Messiah. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who long for the righteous reign of God's Messiah, Jesus. But again... That'll make kingdom people stand out as different, won't it? Because most people today don't want anyone to rule over them, especially not someone who's going to expect justice and righteousness of them too. But Jesus says that in the end, it's these kingdom people who will be filled. In other words, they will get the very thing they hunger for. They will experience all the blessings of Jesus' good and perfect rule, partially in this life, as they live with Jesus as King, but fully in the next life, when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, and so they're to be envied. Okay, what about the next one then? Look with me at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Well, I think that this one actually reflects that the Old Testament principle, that God wants his people to show mercy to other people, because when that's the case, it indicates that they themselves have a right relationship with God. And so in Hosea chapter 6, God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So when people don't show mercy to others, it's because they don't see themselves as sinners in need of God's mercy. 
They might be going through all of the religious rituals, yes, but they don't really feel their own need for God's mercy and so they don't extend that mercy to others. And that's a problem. That's why later in Matthew, Jesus will say, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, kingdom people will forgive others just as they want God to forgive them. And because God has forgiven them. But we live in a world full of bitterness and hate and revenge, don't we? And so, of course, that means once again, kingdom people will stand out as different. But they're to be envied. Because Jesus says that as they show mercy, God will in turn show them mercy. All right, what about the next one then? Verse 8. Verse 8. Look with me. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I think here what we have is a very strong allusion to Ezekiel 36, where God promises that he will bring the exiles back into the land. And then he says, he says, up on the screen, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Who are the pure or clean in heart? It's those that have been forgiven of their sins and those who now, with the help of God's spirit, seek to obey God, to do what he says. But again, that will set kingdom people apart from the rest of the world, won't it? I mean, we live in a world that is in rebellion against God, that doesn't want to obey God. But Jesus says that kingdom people are the ones of the world that are to be envied, because in the end, they are the ones that will get to see God himself. They will stand in his glorious presence and be able to look upon him in all of his wonder forever. All right, not many to go now. Stay with me. The next one, verse 9. Look with me. But Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. What is the ultimate peace offered in the Old Testament? Well, it's peace with God, surely, isn't it? And who are the ultimate peacemakers then? Well, it's those that seek to bring peace between people and God. And so, as it says in Isaiah 52, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And so the peacemakers in Matthew 5 are kingdom people who now proclaim the gospel of peace, who proclaim that Jesus is the one that can bring peace between people and God. Not that interpersonal peacemaking is excluded here, no, not at all. It's just that that kind of peacemaking will have the ultimate goal of helping that other person also find that peace with God. And so again, kingdom people will stand out as different. They'll be thought of as silly and annoying as they proclaim this gospel of peace. But they're to be envied. 
Because in the end, Jesus says they will be called sons of God. Welcomed into his family as his beloved children. And then in the final verses of these Beatitudes, we have one last description of kingdom people. And you know, I think that this description here is actually the description that all the other descriptions have been leading up to. Because here we see the ultimate consequence that comes for kingdom people standing out as different in this world. Persecution. Read with me from verse 10. Verse 10 where Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then turning it and making it all the more personal, Jesus goes on in verse 11 and he says to the disciples, he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Who are the oh-so-fortunate ones here? Who are the ones to be envied here? It's those who are persecuted because of their association with Jesus, isn't it? Uh, They'll be insulted and and attacked and and victimised, just like the prophets of the Old Testament beforehand. Who, like who? Well, we've got the likes of Elijah, Jeremiah, Messiah, all of them persecuted because they dared open up their mouths and call on people to repent. And now as kingdom people open up their mouths and call on people to repent and follow Jesus, they too will be persecuted because they're different. Because of Jesus, they'll be persecuted. But even then, you know what? Even then, they're not to be pitied. They're still to be envied. Because Jesus says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven now. And great is their future heavenly reward. Wow, what an amazing thought that is. And that is the Beatitudes, a very famous passage of the Bible, probably quite familiar to many of us here tonight, but I dare say a a passage that many of us have probably in the past struggled to understand. But this evening I hope that you can see that the Beatitudes, they're actually actually a declaration, a, a declaration of what a citizen of God's kingdom is like. Needy for a saviour, mourning their sinful condition, meekly turning the other cheek, longing for Jesus' righteous reign, forgiving the offences of others, obeying God, proclaiming the gospel of peace and calling on people to repent and come follow Jesus. And if this is what a citizen of God's kingdom is like, then logically speaking, of course, that means that this is what a citizen of God's kingdom should be. No, not should be. 
must be. In the same way that salt is salt, and so salt is salty, because that's what it is by its very nature. Well, so too do kingdom people have to be what they are by their very nature. In that sense, citizens of God's kingdom are the salt of the earth. Here, read with me from uh, verse 13. Verse 13, where Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You see, salt is salt. And so salt is salty. If, it's not, if salt is not salty, it's not salt. It's something else. It's sand or something else that begins with an S. And if you've got sand in your salt shaker, then I suggest you take it out and throw it away. In the same way, citizens of God's kingdom must be what they are. Or it's like light, light which by its very nature shines. That's what light does, it shines. And so you don't take a lamp and you light a lamp, and you don't then cover up that lamp. That's preposterous, it's, it's contrary to its nature. Now what do you do? You light a lamp and then you put that lamp up on a stand so that it can do what it does, it shines. For a citizen of God's kingdom to try and cover up what they are, it's like trying to cover up the city of Sydney with a blanket. It's preposterous. It's silly. It's impossible. It can't be done. You are what you are. And so Jesus says that kingdom people are the light of the world, there to shine to be who they are, standing out as different. And you know what? As that happens, the amazing thing is not everyone will respond by persecuting. No, instead, some people will respond by being won over for Jesus. They'll see the kingdom of person and go, I want that. I want what they've got. And in the end, they will praise God in heaven for Jesus. Read with me these final verses from verse 14. Verse 14. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way... Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You see, as citizens of God's kingdom simply be what they are, needy, mourning, meek, longing, forgiving, obeying, proclaiming and calling on people to repent kind of people, not everyone will reject and ridicule. Some people will join them, repent, follow Jesus, enter into his kingdom and they themselves become needy, mourning, meek, longing, forgiving, obeying, proclaiming and calling on people to repent kind of people. 
And so, you see, friends, as Christians, we are going to stand out. We will be different because we are different. But that's the very thing that we can rejoice in. You see, friends, the world may well look at us Christians and see our differences and declare, you losers. You losers. But that is not the case at all. We are not the losers. We are the oh-so-fortunate ones, the ones to be envied, the ones who belong to God's kingdom now and who have so much to look forward to, God's loving arms of comfort, inheritance of the new creation, Jesus' perfect rule, mercy from God on judgment day, seeing God himself with our own eyes, called his beloved children, and all the other heavenly rewards, way too great to even begin to comprehend. No, we are not the losers. We are the oh-so-fortunate ones. So blessed, so blessed. Yes, it's true. As we stand out now, we can expect persecution. We can expect people to reject us and think us silly and call us names and judge us. In some countries, you know, it'll even mean death. But even in death, we won't have lost a single thing that really matters. Not in the eternal sense. And even better, as we stand out as different, there'll be some people who will see us and think, I want that too. They'll come to Jesus, they'll enter into his kingdom, they'll find all the wonderful treasures that we have found. And so, Christian, do you know what I say to you? I say, don't be like me at the wedding reception, will you? You know, as a Christian, don't try and hide yourself in some dark corner somewhere, trying to stay unnoticed. No. I say to you, get out onto that dance floor and let her rip, baby. Stand out. Stand out as different. Stand out as a Christian. In the workplace, stand out as a Christian. At school, at uni, stand out as a Christian. With your non-Christian family, stand out as a Christian. With your neighbours, your mother's group, your sports club, stand out as a Christian. Be salty. Be shining. Be who you are. And rejoice. That even when you're treated badly, you've still got it all. And more than that, there's a very real possibility that you might just help somebody else find it all in Jesus too. Let's pray. Oh, our Father, we want to thank you now for all 
that we have in Jesus. That we kingdom people truly are so very, very fortunate. Father, help us now to be the people you've made us to be. Help us to stand out as different. Help us to endure persecution. Help us to lead others to Christ. And help us to revel in all the wonderful blessings that are ours in Christ. In whom we pray. Amen.